you have to forgive me because I'm going to fangirl for like the first 10, 15 minutes because I am such a fan, right? So like, number one, your book is the first audio book I've ever like listened to. And I know that's a shame, like having reached 45 years old and it's like, oh, my first audio book. And it's you in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, I mean, of, of first, thank you. Yes, yes, you were my first. I'm going to take that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you, first and foremost. Yes. I'm terrible at compliments. And I've got that from the Irish Catholic side where it's like, you know, pass it. <laughs> don't get too above your station, don't you know? But it's fine. The Nigerians in there are enough to balance it all out. The Nigerian <laughs> can balance that out just fine. It's like, oh, just you haven't complimented we, we don't me worry. enough. <laughs> <laughs> but the compliments are valid. Welcome to Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women. My name is Nanada Kwanzaa And I'm your girl, Malika Grant. Today, we have a man in our bedroom, y'all. Why are you saying it like you don't normally have a man in your bedroom? Uh, because there could be multiple things in my bedroom. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> But this particular man... I know you're just excited to have this, this particular, particular man. man. Ooh, this is a good man, Oh, y'all. you wish you had this particular I, man I in your bedroom. I can't say publicly that I wish, but yeah. internally I can but have that dialogue. But it's just between you, I, and, you know, all our podcasts. And all our listeners. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it's the multi-talented and modest thespian, author, singer, Obioma Ugola. Welcome, bro. Hey, how we doing? Awesome. We are so excited to have you here today because we are going to be discussing something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is masculinity and sexuality. Specifically, we're going to be talking about your book, which is entitled, please say the name for me because I like it when you talk. <laughs> uh, it's called The Problem with My Normal Penis, Myths of Race, Sex, and Masculinity. So can I jump in here, Malaika? Yes, you can. Because I absolutely love, love, love this title. How did the title come to you? It's it's really interesting. My career started sort of doing straight plays and theatre, Shakespeare. And then I moved into musical theatre. And I was in the original company of Hamilton in London on the West End. And I was playing George Washington. On one night out, I was talking to a fellow actor, uh, a black man. We were having this conversation and he said, you know, Black men just have higher sex drives than white men. And I said, hmm? And he said, no, it's just true. I mean, look at the number of, like, the rising population of mixed race people. And I was like, okay, well, that's nonsense. But, like, let's let's keep trying to pull at this thread. I said, what, what do you mean by that? And he's just like, black men just like to fuck more. Pardon me. Sorry, I don't even... Sorry, black men... We like are to, allowed to say all of the words. This is a podcast about sex. F-bombs or anything. Yes. Yes. It's, it's a free show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I said, um, let's just imagine, if you would, imagine if you would, that somehow you know all of the sex that you're having. How are you representative of all black men? Mm. And I began to realize that actually it didn't matter for him the illogical nature of that statement. Mm. What was most important for him and for his sense of identity was, I am a sexy black man. 
I throw down in the bedroom. And it no matter the amount of racist narrative that was behind the myth of the big black penis or the hypersexualized black man, for him, it was really important to his sense of self-identity of uh, being a black man. And so when I was originally pitching the book, the title was N star, 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 penis. Because mm. when you see that, especially if you've grown up in the sort of in the Western world, your mind immediately is socialized to go, oh, the N word. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I wanted to sort of interrogate what does it mean to have this idea of what normal is. When, when we see that, our mind jumps to a place. So when you see a black man, where does our mind jump to? And I began to sort of interrogate my own journey in growing up as a young man and how I'd been socialized and racialized um, to perform certain gender roles um, and was taught that there was a specific, you know, right way to be a man and a right way to be a black man. And that actually in this world of, you know, racist patriarchy, when I roll the dice, if I get a plus two on my sex, and everyone goes, yeah, but he's got a big black dick. Great. And I get a minus two on everything else when it comes to, you know, my employment possibilities or my encounters with the justice system or, you know, what my education outcomes are going to look like. I'm going to lean into the one perceived advantage that I have. Mm. And so there was this complicated thing for me where whilst initially I was angry at you know, this this friend of mine for not being able to recognize the damaging uh, nature of that trope of, you know, this hypersexualized black man and, and where that comes from. Actually, there was also this deep pity mm. of how he had been taught, how I had been taught to be a black man. It's very hard to shift that dynamic and to think that there's a different way that you could do things. But ultimately... If I want to do things differently, and if I want my children to grow up in a world where they're doing things differently, then I sort of need to be the change that I want to see in the world. And so I need to start having those healthy relationships with with my partners or, you know, with potential partners of saying, like, um, I need you to to be able to sort of hold the complexity of that and the, and the awkwardness of us wanting to do better. And how have you been able to have those conversations with like partners or prospective partners? Because I agree with you as like this is really hard for people to shift for both men and women. Um, I wrote a book called The Sex Lives of African Women. And one of the questions someone asked me was, you know, in your conversations with women, did the question of dick size come up? <laughs> and funny enough, I don't think it really came up in my book, but in the blog that Malaika and I have, it's like an obsession, you know, because we invite people to submit guest posts. And there's so many posts where people want to know about dick size, the dick size matter. The majority of women in the comments will say, yes, they do. I personally am like, hell no, you know. And I think it's really hard to shift people's mind around this. And people don't realize, like you pointed out, this actually comes from 
racist depictions of black men as close to animals, right? Can I just add to that is that for the last three years, the top five searches to get to our blog has been how to eat a dick, dick size, measuring dick. How to eat a dick. How to eat a dick. How to predict the size of a dick. Um, and then how to suck dick are the top three searches to <laughs> look at Obi's face. How to find <laughs> Listen, I'm glad that the listeners at home can't see my face. No, but you know what? It's it's funny, isn't it? The the mm. the obsession with it because where does that come from? Mm. Yeah. I mean, but but like genuinely, where does it come from? Mm. Because we don't start out here with with an innate knowledge of what sex is going to be like. Mm-hmm. So someone somewhere has gone, oh no, you know the kind, I need some big dick kind of, you know, I want someone who's hung low, Bernie Mac. Mm-hmm. Like, I want someone who can who can satisfy me. And you're like, huh? What? Who can rearrange my guts? I'm like, that doesn't <laughs> sound like fun to me. It doesn't right. sound pleasurable. <laughs> but, right, so pleasurable is the interesting thing. Mm. And we see it in the in the evolution of how women's orgasms have been seen throughout history, right? That previously, you know, oh, a woman was hysterical, so she just needed to have an orgasm so she could calm down. Mm. And then it was like, oh, a woman must have orgasmed because she fell pregnant, mm. so she must have enjoyed it. And then I can't remember when exactly, but there was a there was a study that was done in the U.S. where they said, uh, "Yo, women, how often do you?" come with your partner hmm. and then how often do you come by yourself yes mm-hmm. uh, hey just sauce. <laughs> yes all of a sudden men got real obsessed with it mm-hmm. because of that disparity it was i'm somehow not doing the thing Mm-hmm. I need to be able to do the thing. I'm not a man if I'm not pleasuring my woman. Mm. And so th- we, we then get caught up in this idea of, you know, actually female pleasure. But weirdly, as with all of this throughout hu- uh, human history, it's not about female pleasure. Mm. It's about how female pleasure makes a man feel. Yeah. How you can empower a man in yeah. his masculinity. It's never mm. actually about the female orgasm. And the problem with that, right, is that, well, there are two twofold. Firstly, you're not really seeing each other, right? So it's not actually that most intimate of human things isn't a genuine connection between humans. And when you're saying, hey, you're here, I'm here, we're having a meeting of, of minds and moments or whatever. So it's not just that, but you've also got this rather depressing heightened potential for sexual violence. Mm. Because if a man so sees his worth as intrinsically tied into uh, a female empowering him, Mm. then when she says, no, I'm not going to empower you. No, you didn't make me come. No, I'm not going to give you my number. No, you can't take me out on a date or buy me a drink. They feel so shattered and destabilized that they lash out. And when they're, when they're fragile, rather than just accepting and going, oh, okay, well, you didn't want to have a meeting of minds. You said, no, 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 you wanted to say that I am less of a man. Mm. And that's where it's sort of almost more dangerous. Mm. As much as like, yes, don't internalize misogyny, don't internalize racism, where these tropes come from, fine. But also just from on like a human level, 
the potential to raise a generation of of boys and men who who might go out and then do violent things right because we look at all of these things be they you know the gender pay gap or childcare or you know violence against women and and, and girls as if they're somehow separate mm. whereas actually they're all interlinked we're trying to address oh there's a bit of systemic racism over here there's a bit of problems with the police over there there's a bit of gender issue no 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 you need to understand that all of these things are interconnected and then in so doing we can say oh, actually you know the patriarchy is harming men and it's not allowing them to have good sort of you know sexual relations with their partner which ultimately no one else is in that bedroom with you for the next 40 years than you and your wife mm. so why do you care if someone's going oh actually the ideal penis is this actually the mm. best way to have sex no, no no it should all be about how you are sort of centering each other because you were the only two people in that relationship you two are the focus of it or you should be the focus of that and i feel like part of the problem with you know overly centering the penis is the penis doesn't always do what penis owners want them to do <laughs> at least the flesh ones <laughs> and i'm like why are you limiting all the pleasure you can give somebody to just this like one thing on your body you know when there's so much more like like why why put yourself under that pressure uh, can I ask it uh, I don't I don't know if this is too forward but if that has ever happened so many times oh gosh but what has what has been your and I realized it wasn't me I just have to say that for the record I'm yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> keeps happening I don't know why these I don't know why interesting. <laughs> at least <No>. twice a week <laughs> <laughs> but with those people what how do you deal with it afterwards it's so funny I'll tell you like my favorite experience with a man who basically, you know, lost his erection mm -hmm. and I was, we were in bed together. And then he said, it happens sometimes. And I was blown away because nobody has ever said that to me, right? I feel like what I usually experience is a person then keeps trying and then it becomes this frenetic act. And it's almost like I need to get it in and I need to hold it with my hand to keep it in. And then you're just like, this is not fun. This is now stressful. And then I'm kind of feeling a bit embarrassed for the person and kind of feeling like I need to go along so they don't feel bad, right? Rather than, I guess, saying, you know what? It's fine. Like, it's let's fine. just do something else, you know? Um, let's watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, let's do something else sexually. Yeah. I mean, I'm personally somebody who doesn't derive a lot of pleasure from penetrative sex anyway. So mm -hmm. that's never the main thing for me. I always say, for me, foreplay is main play. But I wish more men would just recognize that and not feel like this is the goal, mm -hmm. you know? But And again, it's like, where have we learned that from, mm. right? If you are doing that, if you're in that dynamic and you don't have the honesty with each other to just go, you know what? It's a lot today. I'm I'm tired. Mm. I'm tired. But you're both in this fake version of performance how can you progress like as a relationship how can you truly be intimate and connected if you can't be honest enough to just go listen it didn't happen today and i don't know about you but some of the best sex that i've ever had is when you can truly laugh and there are funny noises made and yeah. you just go <laughs> that was what well, that was stupid you know for a moment you can just go ah, a little bit ridiculous because that's the thing, right? It's in the fragile male ego, 
there is this sense that this person who I'm seeing and who I want to see me isn't. Which is why, counterintuitively, the more open you can be, the more enjoyable they will find your penis. <laughs> and the more enjoyable they will find your oral because actually you have been more radically honest about what you enjoy and what they enjoy than any previous partner. You know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say a thing because I know I've had conversations with my friends where they're like, oh yeah. Um, and then she tried to put a finger up my butt. <laughs> what she did? Oh my, I'm not gay. And I'm like, okay. But did you enjoy it? Right. Mm. And five, 10 years ago, my friends, oh, she tried to do that. And now, because we as men have grown up, we have no conversation mm -hmm. like, I don't lie, you know, it was kind of. <laughs> I kind of like it to the knuckles. <laughs> She kind of did a thing with a thing and it kind of felt like a thing, you know? <laughs> because also, like, is the reason why you don't like the thing because you don't like the thing? Mm -hmm. Or is it because there's some weird perception of, like, what you shouldn't like? Mm -hmm. Like, what is unacceptable to like? And for me, I'm like, listen, you and your partner can do whatever you and your partner do in your bedroom. Because it's you. So you trying to like hold it down for the mandem and not let someone put their finger wherever or, you know, use a toy if she does or doesn't want to like, huh? Why not? Mm. And again, like we've said, like some, a lot of women penetrative sex, that's not how they orgasm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's that most people mention is like 70% of women don't orgasm during, during sex, sex. With, yeah. with a partner. And I, and, and you see that and you go, but is that, you know, trying to put yourself into that category of going, yeah, we've got to be in that 30%. And it's like, why? <laughs> it's impossible. You know what I mean? Like, who is it for? Make it make sense. Listen, or is it just that you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to be. What would the mandem say? What would the other men who have taught me what it is to be a man say about my masculinity? And if you... <laughs> you know, I think what's really tricky when it comes to this idea of masculinity, there's this, when you try to unpick yourself from it, when you try to tell people, actually, I'm not going to, I don't co-sign that anymore. And you're with the group of friends and you're out and you say, oh, I've got to get, got to get back to the wife. And everyone goes, whoa, whoa, all right. Oh, oh, oh. going to leave the boys. Are you? There's this odd thing that happens when you talk about women in a certain way. Mm. And that's how you that's how you've bonded, right? You have been taught that the way to bond and sort of feel connected to your other male friends mm -hmm. is is to be a smaller, more narrow-minded version of yourself. Mm. And so you mutilate yourself. You cut yourself on your hand and you shake hands with another man who has cut himself and said yeah i'm gonna say that it's okay to be homophobic i'm gonna i'm gonna say that it's okay to be misogynistic and we're gonna shake hands on that now the problem is is that when you then look down at your hands and you continue cutting yourself laughing at those rape jokes laughing at those homophobic jokes laughing at those misogynistic jokes the moment you go wait a second i'm in charge of me 
and I'm the one who's cutting my hand open and making myself continually bleed. I'm not going to do that anymore because mm. I have a wife at home. I've got some gay friends. I've read some articles. I'm, I don't need this. I don't need that to bond. Mm. And you say to your friends, we're still friends, but we don't need this weird blood bond of, of being damaging to ourselves. Obi is a storyteller. <laughs> Obi, I'm wondering if you have thoughts around how we can get men to like reimagine a more expansive form of masculinity, right? One that's not wedded to these old patriarchal ideas mm-hmm. that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. 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 How can we encourage that shift? I mean, I always feel like that's work that men need to do themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like as a feminist, too many people ask us, so what are you doing about the men and boys? And I'm like, well, what are you doing about the men and boys? And I feel mm-hmm. like you're doing something. And so for me, yeah. it's great that you're there as an example. But how can we broadly get, boys to think differently, you know, um, get men to also think differently. How can we, and this is a lot of (laughs) pressure for me to Mm. even ask you this question, but how can we like have a sort of generational shift in an understanding of masculinity? I think it's normalizing going to, A, going to therapy, B, talking about your feelings with your friends, right? Reaching out to your friends and your peers because we don't, men don't. Mm. I don't want to say black men, white men, because I think men oftentimes don't. And we need a social lubricant, right? Where I, now when I'm talking to my male friends, I say at the end of the call, I'm like, listen, I love you. <laughs> I'll speak mm-hmm. to you soon. Yeah. And I want to normalize that because why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine whose dad was dying and he didn't hug him and say I loved you before he passed because he knew that he didn't have that relationship with his father. Mm. And he was worried that it would somehow diminish their relationship. And he said afterwards that he regretted it. And I thought, Mm. how tragic that, again, these people outside who have socialized you in a certain way have convinced you that you can't tell your parent who is dying Mm. Mm. that you love him. And it generationally across the diaspora, we need to learn to unpick that because it's it's hard. Yeah. And there were there were certain black men who weren't allowed the luxury of that softness. Mm. They couldn't permit themselves to be emotional at work because if they were, they'd get fired. Yeah. Mm. They couldn't permit themselves to to lash out at the cop because if they did, they might end up dead. And I think emotions are valid. And I think vulnerability is valid. And I think for some people it is a luxury. So I think if you don't hold space and give grace to your elders and from people who are coming from a slightly different lived experience and expect them to arrive where you are now, having stood on their shoulders, and expect them to not, you're like, whoa, how, how comes you're not this far up the mountain? It's like, sir, <laughs> I paved this path for you. You walked mm. along my back to get here. So just take a second, help me up, help me get there. And I will, I promise you, I might not get there as fast as you might want me to. But part of that is from having to lay myself down on like broken shards of stones mm. so that you didn't cut your feet. So just like, Give, give me a second. 
you know. So we can get there, and I, I am optimistic, but I think, you know, it it involves holding space and grace for each other. Obi, has having conversations like this had any sort of effect on your dating life? Yeah, um, I think I'm a lot more intentional now about the politic of my own life. Mm. And it's tricky because I'm in a, you know, I'm from a, a mixed heritage relationship anyway. So as an Irish Nigerian, there's like a, wait, am I am I only attracted to certain people because of the racist Britain that I grew up in? Or is it, you know, just that I actually really clicked with this person? And I think when it comes to any of that, it is just about who sees you. Mm. And if I have a partner who sees me and knows, you know, oh, listen, I tried to, I, 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 I tried to cook some jollof rice and you know what, it wasn't perfect, but I'm really trying out here. I'm like, listen, yeah, because I know that there are people who still see my mum who's been married to my dad coming up on 40 years and people are like, oh, who, who's, who's this Oibo? This, this, you know, this white woman who just, this Mzungu, what, what can you have for, for, um, for, for this man? And it's like, mm, she's, she's got a lot. So like, just, just watch yourself. And I think ultimately it's just, as long as somebody is trying to see all of you and isn't trying to see this sort of racist stereotype of, of you, or even this, like, you know, it's not even just racist. It's like the, this sort of um, masculine version of the man that you're meant to be. They're not trying to be who you're meant to be, but who you are. The person who sees you for who you are is the, is the person who I want to sort of spend the rest of my life with, I think. We have a final question that we're oh, gosh, asking yeah. all of the guests that come on this season. Is there a sexy secret that you can share with us? And you can interpret that any way you want to interpret it. Is there a sexy secret? You know what? Here's my sexy secret. Amazon, do sex toys, and don't be shy. They're there for you to use. They come in discreet packages. I'm like, why not? Because as we say, sometimes we'll be tired. And sometimes it's not peanut, it's not penetrative sex that's going to really bring you to that place. So maybe... Just to have one little, uh, you know, bullet on the on the bedside drawer. You just, mm, oh, oh, okay, we're there. Mm. Can just mix up the whole thing. Supporting cast member. And those days when you're not, you're like, sorry, it's, it's not happening. You'll be like, oh, okay, but it's not over. It's not happening for you, but it's not over. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I would just say it's there and the packaging is discreet and affordable. So <laughs> <laughs> Love it, love it, love it. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Thank Ubiuma. you so, so I much. I have loved, loved chatting to you. Thank yeah. you. And I know the paperback edition of your book is coming out soon, right? It is out. I could listen to Obi talk forever, his voice. I could listen to Obi sing the phone book, if it's still printed <laughs> phone books. <laughs> and I loved his sexy secret. Is this pragmatic? Like, yes. seriously, all men have to have to just do that. They yeah. just need to plug in and dig in and accept the help. And listen, do you have a sexy secret to share with us? Like, let us know what your sexy secrets are. Share, hashtag sexy secrets, tag at, at adventures from on Twitter and adventures from on Instagram and adventures from everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
And tag us Studio 2, AQ Studios. Yes. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know. What are your sexy secrets? We're you listening. <laughs> The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is hosted by Malaika Grant and Nana Darkose Chiama. Sally Chan, AQ Studios CEO, is an executive producer alongside the hosts. Freddie Boswell is a senior producer. Audio editors are Mercy Barno and Tevin Sudi, alongside production support from Mercy Gudaiga and Lucas Ngao. The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is a production of AQ Studios in partnership with Masi Media. Follow us on all our socials at AQ Studios Podcasts. Our theme music is Damn by Ria Boss. Find adventures from the bedrooms of African women anywhere you get your podcasts and in the pursuit of all things sex, sexuality and pleasure. Follow us on all our social media platforms at Adventures From. Thank you for listening. Damn, she's so fly. Goddamn, she might die. She goddamn with the goddess lie. She every 